Good morning, marketers, and welcome to the Yippie Market Podcast brought to you by Mountaintop Data and Joto PR. We are the only podcast that markets the shit out of it. I'm Sky Cassidy, and uh, today we'll be talking with Verl Allen of Clarivine about uh, data standards and how data standards drive performance in B2B marketing. What does that mean? Well, listen, and, uh, and you'll find out. I know there's a lot of uh, pronouns in there. Could mean almost anything. But uh, we've got Verl here. He's the CEO of the data integrity company, Clarivine. He brings uh, 20 plus years of experience helping brands transform digitally while at Ancestry, Omniture, and Adobe, and now focuses on helping companies address uh, data integrity issues through the use of Clarivine's data standards cloud platform. Verl, thanks for joining us. Great to be here, Sky. Thanks for having me. Some of your bio I made up, so I hope I got it right. Um, as far as what your company does and everything, data integrity company, I think is something that, that I called it. Um, am I on target there? Yeah, you are. I mean, really what we're about is helping companies create a common language for their marketing teams to help them accelerate kind of business decisions and then be able to apply those standards. And we, we're much more about data quality and data integrity proactively versus trying to solve it after the fact. So it's about creating standards up front and, and proactively solving those some of those issues that, that crop up. From it's a lot stand, easier, easier to keep your data in line if you name things ahead of time. Yeah. Um, so that's a great. So you say you're about clarifying. Let's clarify what you mean by data right here, because I always call that a pronoun. So when we're talking about data standards, so many different types of data, um, what do you guys focus on? Yeah, we're really, you know, we really support marketing teams. And when I think about where, where we focus, when you think about experiences, it's around campaigns and creative and offers and products. So we really focus around helping organizations really kind of um, improve and optimize those, those experiences that they're delivering to, to users and consumers. So are we talking about analytics, things like website traffic and the the pages people visit and that kind of stuff, or kind of CRM and marketing data, phone numbers, email addresses, names, titles, targeting information, a combination of the two, where are we at there? Yeah, you know, a lot of our users are more on the uh, analytics side. Um, we We also support with, with some of the large companies we work with really extend out into their agencies and are supporting them. Them and A lot of it's, you know, either owned, but it's also the earned and the paid up, up, up in front of that. But all this does, a lot of this intersects back with their CRM data as well, because again, this, at the end of the day, marketers are trying to create much more either views into the journey or views and more holistic views into, into users and into, um, um, what is actually happening, and so that's really where we we are we get involved. There's a lot of a lot of what we are doing is really helping marketers connect kind of across different experiences or across channels or across that journey. Because when those when those marketers are using multiple applications that have kind of different data models, it's really difficult to to understand what is happening across the systems. You know, as the data is flowing and, and and as they're aggregating that data, and also really giving a much more visibility into what's happening upstream in, in, you know, on the media side, as well as kind of how that, how that intersects with us, with the uh, owned um, side of things. I see kind of a game of data telephone potentially here where, and I've seen this with platforms where people push data through something and it kind of strips out some of the useful data just by accident or relabels things when it maps fields 
and then you lose a, a lot of the value there. Is that partially what we're talking about? Is this is this trying to eliminate that data telephone where at the end you're just left with either improper information or not nearly as useful information? Yeah, it's that. And I and and really a lot of what we're providing in some cases is more like business context. So when you think about it, the applications they're using are really kind of, you know, a lot of them are multi-tenant kind of SaaS applications that have models that are genericized from a data perspective that don't have a lot of um, linkage to the actual business itself. So what we're providing them is we're kind of enriching that data. We're helping standardize that data. And in, in one way we're creating um, keys that allow them to connect data between applications. And the other side of that is we're actually adding context that is business specific into that data. So it, it's not really, we're not trying to solve, we're trying to kind of eliminate in some ways what people traditionally think of about from data quality around ETL, but we're trying to do it in a sense of if we believe you set data standards up front and that you're able to connect those standards with, you know, in this case, experiences or data flowing through systems, that's how we, we view ourselves as kind of um, providing a, a enriched set of data and, a, and keys allow you to connect, connect these things better because you've been proactive in the way that you set, set up campaigns, the way, the way that you're naming and, and tagging creative and things like that. Right. So can you give, because I think half the audience is probably still thinking, yeah, but what the heck are you guys talking about? Um, can you give an example or two of... Um, a data point and how it might flow through this process and go wrong or, or, or go right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so here's, here's some things the way we think about it. So um, a lot of companies, like a lot of companies are using, you know, one of the things they're optimizing on is creative. They're, they're optimizing audience, audiences and other things as well. But as you think about it, you name creative in your dam using either some sort of identifier, there's attributes about that, that, that data, that, that creative. As that data, as that creative is used in an ad server or other, other applications, they have, they have unique ways in which they identify and name that creative. The problem, the problem you run into is it's difficult when you're in a, especially in large organizations where you have different applications being used for different activities. What gets stripped out in a lot of cases by those applications is some of that naming that's associated with creative. So it's kind of like of metadata for your information is getting stripped and that had a lot of useful, yeah. necessary information in it. That's right. And, and what we're doing is, is creating a way to actually re-inject that metadata more downstream in the analytics systems, in the BI and, and other, you know, we, we, we work a lot with kind of the, the data teams that are doing a lot of the analysis downstream on this and trying to really measure performance and other things after the fact. Hmm. So it's almost, it's funny. I see this with it's my PR company. Sometimes I'll see it, things they write and they'll, they'll have done a write-up about data, but it's almost like they talk to me about it or they look at one of the podcasts and they hear the word data and they just strip out the meaning behind it and they keep the generic word data. And then all those references to data are lumped together as if they're all talking about the same thing same thing and then an article is written as completely schizophrenic because it's referencing all these different data things because the the type of data behind it has has been stripped so is that a pretty good example example of the type yeah. of thing you're talking about you're stripping out the actual value from the pronoun and now everybody is seen as the same person because you said he a bunch and we're all the same he now yeah and i think that's that's part of the challenge is that there's a disconnect in a lot of ways between 
the analysts and the analytics solutions and the applications that are used to create and manage and you know campaigns and other marketing activities. And so what we're really trying to do is bring, in some ways, the way to think about it is our application is bringing kind of the, what we call the creatives or the marketing folks together with the data folks. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that to us is really kind of one of the big gaps that's existed. And, you know, a simple way to think about this is campaign tracking codes. There's a bunch of data that's associated, you know, with a campaign tracking code that is, is in that, that string um, that, that may be obfuscated. We, we are a source of record for things like that, that have a bunch of data that may be enterprise specific or company specific that are associated with that activity. Um, it's the same with creative and it's same with products and other things as well. Excellent. Um, so we kind of had, an, we had an example there of, of where this can go, right? Can you give an example of, and I, I guess we kind of mentioned, Hey, it can go right or wrong this way. Can you give an example of something, how something can go terribly wrong when people aren't, you know, using, using standards for, for, for this? Yeah. In fact, um, I'll give an example from, from some company, you know, from some of our customers. Um, we've had experiences where, and, and we've heard from customers that, yeah, I won't tell you it's a very large um, electronics uh, or um, electronics company, one of the largest ones in the world. And we were talking to their, to their analytics team and, and their agency was on the phone. And one of the things that came out was because of the fact that they don't have the ability to reassemble this data quickly, what they were what they were ending up with was literally every Tuesday, Wednesday, they were not able to optimize. They're, they're spending millions and millions of dollars. And so it was the speed to insights that were because they were having to clean a bunch of the data up and they weren't able to automate that. Um, and that's what we, they were talking to us about. They literally were, were skipping optimization um, two out of the seven days of the week. And they're like, we just don't have visibility. We, it takes us that long to rebuild this stuff. And the way our reporting works and, and the, and the, and the, the fact that we don't have standards in place means that we have to go in and clean up a bunch of this data that just takes time. And so there's windows every week, literally, that we cannot optimize. Right. And, so now you mentioned this- very large company. Is this inherent to large companies versus small? Because small companies frequently, it's just put up some Google AdWords or Facebook ad, and then you don't worry about it. You're not, you're not dealing with all this data and trying to optimize quite so much. Is this yeah, kind it- of a medium to large company issue? It- it is more of a medium large that where there's where there's complexity in the channels that they're that they're marketing into. There's complexity in the 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 tools that they're using because they may be using different tools for different channels and things. That's where that's where this really gets complicated because there is no you know these the tools that they're using the applications they're using were actually you know they're they're built by different and, and designed by different companies and those companies have you know, unique ways and for the channels they're specifically targeted for have unique ways in which they're naming data and the fields that they're capturing are not consistent across these applications. And what so information really, can be carried in that field? Like you just lose information sometimes because the field doesn't allow for like the metadata or something like that. That's right. That's right. right. That's right. And then it's yep. gone from then on. So you guys allow a, a pulling. So I'd say though, even for small companies, the general concept here you know, maybe you just have a couple personas, but if the data you're getting has, uh, you target manufacturing companies and the data you're starting with has deeper information on what type of manufacturing company they are. And that gets stripped out when you first put it into your CRM. 
well, now you've lost the ability to distinguish between, even though you originally had it, the different types of manufacturing, which may be very important some point along the process. And, and now it's just gone. That's, that's right. And, that, and that's really, and companies are constantly having to go back after the fact and rebuild this. So I think you're spot on. It, it's, this is not necessarily, we're not, when we think about data standards, you think about data strategy, when I think about data strategy, it does kind of start with, you know, having a common, if you want to call it data taxonomy or standard kind of data model that everyone's aligned around. So, you know, it's sort of future-proofing the business in some ways. Right. And that, that is something that I think a lot of companies, to be honest, as we've evolved, it wasn't, it wasn't something that was initially, I, I think, thought through all the way because this is sort of built on itself. The scale of this data over time has continued to grow and increase. And we're, we're now helping go back, helping companies go back and start to retrofit a little bit. I guess you could say that with putting these standards in place. I mean, well, another example I can think of is, uh, let's just say the phone number field in a CRM or something. And it starts out with a phone number, but then um, you know, salesperson types in a second and third phone number and an extension. And suddenly you have this field that was designed to have a phone number now it has five or 10 different phone numbers and some notes about them because yep. the field allowed it. And then now you move this data into a new system and it can't, it doesn't see that as anything. And it either tosses everything out or takes the first handful of digits or whatever. And, uh, and, and so you, you're just losing tons of information. And I guess smaller companies aren't so concerned about this. So they tend to build up problems. And then as they grow, they really start showing. That's, that's, there's a, that's absolutely the case. And I, and I think it's, it's no different than large organizations that started out dabbling in digital, digital grew and the, and the scale, the data grows. It's, it's the same with companies that are small, that are growing the scale that data grows over time and not, not creating kind of that common data language or taxonomy at the beginning ultimately starts to cause problems down the road. And, and we see it all the time where a lot of people are using, you know, a lot of this, a lot of companies start out using spreadsheets even to, to manage data. And what ends up happening is you add more people and as you add more complexity, those spreadsheets get out of date. People are appending to the spreadsheets and adding fields. And then over time, everything, what you had that was simple gets very complex and and some of the meaning gets lost. And, people and are redundant. And yes. uh, yeah, you, you again, you name a field phone number, but there's no indication as to what kind of phone number you're talking about. And um, yeah, I would say even large companies still have those. We see as a data company that we do data cleaning sometimes, we'll, we'll get people's list and see that. They'll, they'll send us a spreadsheet and we yeah. just say, oh my God, you have 15 phone number fields here. Um, and then you have some fields that just have all kinds of random data packed into them. Um, so even the, the like mid-sized companies still have spreadsheets that are disasters and uh, that's a perfect, they build up. Yes. The information builds yeah. up on spreadsheets. And when a field yep. gets confusing, someone just creates a new clean version of that field, which means it's empty. And now you just have the old residual info. I think it's better, but it just creates another layer of dirt. Yeah. And, and you know, the, as, as people, as, as we know, people transition. Um, and a lot of the, a lot of times that knowledge is, is, captured in somebody's head it's expressed through a spreadsheet or other other doc, other other formats but there's a lot of knowledge tra knowledge transfer that gets lost as people leave as as 
companies add and, and remove applications, there's, there's a lot of complexity in the growth and in kind of the legacy of these organizations. And really what we're trying to do and help them do is put in place, again, these standards become a way to manage this and a way to control this and a way to ensure that this data is available in the right locations downstream in the right formats. And, and, it's, and it helps them kind of, it's, we think about it as a proactive way to solve data quality versus what we've traditionally done as an industry, which is reactive. And you know, you're talking about data cleanup, what you guys are doing, that, that in our minds is, and it's always gonna be required, but there's, there's a lot of this reactive data quality and, and data cleanup that we believe could be eliminated. And that's really what we're on, on a journey. It's easier to, to do it right solve. the first time. Yeah, the, yeah. the cleanup is, you know, you have to clean up if you have to clean up, but it's a lot easier to get it right the first time. So the, the, the different company size things, I'm glad to hear that. I mean, this still applies to smaller companies. The general yep. concepts all still apply. It's one of these things where, yes, you, you need some sort of system to manage it, but even small companies should, maybe it's not going to be a software, but they need a mental system to manage it. I've seen spreadsheets before that have, when you talk about people leave and they kind of bring the knowledge of, hey, why is this labeled this? And what does this label mean? That have color coding as well, but with no reference to what the colors mean. What, <laughs> yeah, and I, and I think that's, that's again, we all, I think, put company size aside, I think everybody's dealing with a lot of the same problems at, at different scales um, as it relates to kind of data quality and data integrity. The great thing about a system is systems can scale. They, they scale a lot easier than non-systems. <laughs> yeah. And, and it takes, you know, it takes the people problem out of the equation and it create, and it create and a bunch of the other challenges that come in play in the, in the real world, it, it eliminates a lot of those and overcomes a lot of those so that, so that companies are, you know, have a living, breathing and a, and a um, um, solution that, that outlasts the people or outlasts, you know, applications that they may be using at the time. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. So we got into a conversation before we started the episode here, and I kind of want to call back to that um, so that a sloppy transition here, let's say. But we were talking about um, the issue now with attribution and, and how it relates to this kind of, because you collect a lot of this data. And as a marketer, you want to be able to see, here's where we're getting most of our sales from. Here's the marketing that's working best and how a lot of, there's so much less data out there to attribute back to now with, a, with, with the big players all locking down their wall gardens kind of. Um, can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, and I, and I think this goes for both B2B and B2C. There's, a, there's, there historically have been keys and all, you know, like IDs, log files, um, cookies, even IP address and other, other identifiers that have helped marketers do much more what I'll call an attribution approach to optimization and, and measuring performance and and allocating spend and making other sorts of, of important decisions. The, you want to know what works so you know where to spend more money yes. versus 
Mad Men, something worked. Let's do it all over again. Yeah, exactly. You know, the, back to the old, yeah, old adage. We know that half the half of our spend doesn't work. We're just not sure which half, right? What what we see happening is as um, there are changes that are happening with you know on iOS, Google's Google's talking about this. Every you know we we see the emergence of these what we call clean rooms, and you know what's happening though really here is a lot of this. Um, a lot of these keys or a lot of these identifiers that we were using to do attribution are going away. And so the way that marketers, we believe going forward are gonna have to think about these problems are less about attribution and connecting that data and stringing it together on on a user or an individual or an ID basis. And really looking at it much more and thinking about the world through experimentation. there, you saw just yesterday, um, Facebook announced that they were, you know, they were moving and they, they rolled out. It wasn't a press release. It was actually a rollout of saying, hey, we're moving to this, this whole new methodology around media mix modeling, which feels a little bit like a step back towards what you talked about with Mad Men, right? But and it kind of ties to data privacy, too. Some of this seems like they're trying to hold on to their data more and let you see less of it. So you have to stay in their wall garden more. And some of it's data privacy where they're like, well, we, we just don't have a way to do this with all the laws now. Yeah. And, and yeah. And I, I think there's a number of reasons that are forcing this. I mean, you know, Facebook, I think they don't, they don't own the browsers. They don't own the devices. They're, they're in a situation where they're kind of forced back to this because the reality is, is that they're dealing with some of the same issues now that marketers are starting to deal with. And are going to continue to have more and more of these issues going forward as, you know, Google's already announced there's an end of the third party cookie at this yeah. date. You say they and don't so, own the browsers and they don't own the devices. Is that a direct reference to the fact that basically this is a war created by Google that owns the most popular browser and also that sells Google AdWords and Apple that owns the most popular phone or one of the most popular phones. And um, and then it's also in the in the business so is it basically those two locking down and facebook saying oh crap we don't we don't have we don't one of these device mediums that we own yeah they used to have access to that information i think you know apple has has been talking about this for a while and putting more control of more 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 user control for on, on privacy and other things and so you know they started down this path and i think it's it's created an opportunity for other you know, Google and others. And I think Amazon's the same way they're, they're looking at it saying, listen, it's probably not best practice to be sharing all this user level data with other companies, whether it's for privacy pers- oh, purposes. Right. I like you add with others. other companies, not sharing just with other companies and not best yeah. practice ethically, just best practice profit wise. Well, again, I, you know, I don't know exactly what what those conversations are. I mean, we can, you know, we can, we can make imagine, fun but, assumptions. I just yeah, assume yeah, they're out yeah. for profits and they really don't. Yeah. They're, they're not worried about the ethical side. Um, it's, Hey, but, but we're giving a lot of information to our competitors. We don't have to, and we cannot, which makes me also think antitrust wise, it is a problem or it's not a problem until something like this comes around. But when you have somebody like Google that also owns a top browser and Apple that, when you get companies that are saying, oh, we're going to own the mechanism of delivery and manufacture, and they're owning the whole chain at some point, 
which is great for them because then they can monopolize more. Then they can squeeze out competitors. Then they can say, no, this is just the new way of, of doing. We're not even squeezing them out. We're just locking it down now. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there, there's again, I think that, you know, we can speculate on what their motivations are. We're getting are, way off into different yeah, topics. Yeah, but, I, yeah. but I think there's probably, I think they're, I, I don't entirely disagree with you. I, I think it's a reality of the world we live in today that there are um, large points of control in the ecosystem. And, um, and I think there are concerns around, you know, there have been concerns for a long time around um, user privacy. And I think you're seeing some of that, that landscape has changed. And the question really for us as marketers is how do we react? And, you know, it was interesting when, when iOS, um, you know, just, just recently also with iOS, I think 15, you know, it's, it's, it's more difficult now even to see tie clicks on email back to a user level or, you know, to the send or, or the, the, the email address and the user. And so more and more of this is gonna continue to roll out. And, you know, when, 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 I, iOS, when Apple made the changes a while ago with, on iOS, a lot of people just shifted their ad spend to, um, to Google on, on the mobile side and Android and said, listen, we'll shift it here. But again, that, that pool of identity out there and, and optimizing off identity is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And so what it means, the way we see this is there has to be a fundamental shift in the way that we optimize spend. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of data out there that says, listen, you know, as you, even, even with the data that's there and it's much more aggregate level data at a segment level and, and other things, there are ways with the tools we have now and some of this is the advent of the kind of large uh, infrastructure that's cloud-based on the data side. Um, there are ways to optimize that don't require user-level data and attribution. And, it's, and again, it's much more around media mix modeling, some of these other ways. And I think with the advent of some of this, some of the, the solutions we have like from a technology, from a um, application and a, and, a, and, a, and a data perspective, it really sets us up. If, and this is why we, when I talk about data standards, if you're going to go that way with experimentation and media mix modeling and other ways to optimize, you have to ensure that as you're experimenting and as you're testing and as you're optimizing at much more like a segment level or, or, or a aggregate level, that there are that you're able to get as rich of a view as you can about the segments that you're comparing and start to look at much more around correlation. And, and, and that's how these decisions are gonna be made. But that's a fundamental shift in the way that we as marketers have for the last, we, in some ways we've gotten kind of lazy over the last 15 years and been able to use the, those IDs to do a lot of lookalike and a lot of you know, um, um, other sorts of, of marketing, retargeting and things that, that made our lives easier, but that's going away. And so that we view the world as, hey, we purposely built an application and we believe data standards are the way forward around being able to support marketers in optimizing spend and optimizing um, what their activities at a much more aggregate level in the way the world is going to be architected in the future. And it's, and it's the very near future. So I think to connect those two topics of the kind of the wall gardens and the locking down of the uh, third party data, if you will, I hope I'm using that term in the right um, right way here. And then your owned marketing, the CRM data that you're saying, hey, this needs to be standardized. Um, with that, 
being disconnected a bit, it becomes even more important that the information you have is all labeled and understood well so that you can apply these these things you learn about the audience from your marketing, but it's hidden inside that wall garden back to the audience as focused an audience within your own data as possible. Um, so you instead of just saying, again, I guess the big version is, yes, the marketing worked overall, just apply that back to the whole thing, do it all again. But the more you can chop that up, like we've gotten used to as marketers and say, this part didn't and this part did, you're no longer really so much able to say this person it worked for and this person and this person, and then group them all together and say this type of person. It's kind of like you have to do the reverse in your own data and say, you have to create the types and then let the information from outside point to a type, not an individual. Yeah. I, I, yeah. There's a, that's exactly right. And it, it's not just around like I'll call it types or segments, but it's also looking at holistic and saying, Hey, there are a bunch of different dimensions to this experience. One is the audience or the segment and making sure that you're consistent. You have a, the ability to consist, know exactly what the makeup of those segments are in each one of the walled gardens if you're doing some testing. The other part of that is it's having, and this is why standards are important, is around the creative and other, you know, other attributes of those campaigns, the offers and things. And it's being able to, over time, ensure that as you're doing the analysis, you have all that, that as rich as you can set of data of all these different attributes that are related to this particular segment that ultimately you can tie back the, you know, the, the, the conversions or whatever to those segments, but it's right. being able to understand what, what are the variables that matter in these, that are going to move the needle and let's do more of those things. And, and I think that's where it becomes critical to have as rich a set of data decision off of as you can with the constraints that are there from the, you know, from the environment that we're operating in. Which which is you know kind of in these wall gardens. Yeah, I was kind of talking about as if you do you just put out one campaign and then the information flows back. Yes, you want to optimize the different types of campaigns, so then you have a whole other set of of layers of uh, of data you want to try to attribute back in some way. Um, okay, awesome. I want to take a, a quick break here. A lot more to talk about on this, and then Verl, I want to dig into you and. Uh, and also your name, which confuses the hell out of companies like us, because we would want to switch you and call you Alan Verl instead of Verl Allen. Uh, <laughs> I think you did that on purpose. And um, so we'll, we'll get back to more about your company, what you guys do, you and more on this topic after the break. Are you looking for new leads or always in need of quality contacts for your marketing campaigns? But list companies and online tools are the worst, right? Well, then you've got to check out Top Data Search by Mountaintop Data. At Mountaintop Data, we're a team of weird people that actually like getting our hands dirty with sales and marketing data, and we specialize in business contact information. We compile and maintain a database of tens of millions of targeted, high-quality business decision makers with emails, phone numbers, mailing address, and all the information you need. Go to topdatasearch.com and request a free account with the promo code IYM1000 like if you market the podcast here, and get a free account with unlimited searches, no seat fees, and 1,000 free record download credits. That's topdatasearch.com. Welcome back to the If You Market podcast here, talking with Verl Allen, the CEO of Clarivine. 
about uh, how data standards uh, drive performance in B2B marketing. Vero, we've talked a lot about this topic. I want to dig in here uh, into you a little bit and into Clarivine. So let's start with you and then we'll naturally progress our way through. Um, you you have a history in some very large companies. Can you walk us through your progress, your, your life journey kind of here? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I, I, um, I started out in the, in the late 90s um, actually um, in investment banking. And I was there for a couple of years and literally kind of had an epiphany one time at one point and realized, you know, I was going down a path I just did, I wasn't where I, going to take me where I wanted to end up. So I left and joined um, Ancestry.com in very early days there. And what was interesting was I have a finance background, but I saw the problem in digital marketing much more as a math problem than like a creative problem. So I think, you know, when I thought about marketing and, you know, I, I, I took a marketing class in school, it felt to me like this is a little bit of a softer science and not something that to me, I'm an analytical person. Um, it didn't really resonate with me. But when I, when I left and went to Ancestry, it was much more around, you know, direct response marketing, all about performance and measuring performance and optimizing against that. It really, it really, to me, felt like it was, again, more of a math problem. And so it was something that I was very comfortable with and, and something that I could take the skills that I had, um, the analytical skills, and really apply it to that, to that problem. And again, there are, cre- there are creative pieces to that, and, and, and that's, that's still necessary, but it, it, it's a much more digital felt to me like a much more of a math problem. Right. So you're talking um, about the different sides of marketing, like the, Hey, we need to come up with a creative, um, with a catchphrase versus, uh, you know, coming up with an ad jingle versus the, we're testing 20 ad jingles and seeing which one worked out best. And we're doing all this and this creative and that creative and, um, the, the analytic side of, of measuring and, and that's all possible yeah. now, <laughs> basically yeah, Madden yeah. versus modern marketing. Yeah. And when I was, when I, you know, I, I was, this was in 2000 or ni- late 99, 2000, and it was very early days, but it was a company that had, you know, the CMO at the company at the time was, had come from the direct response world kind of in the analog side and brought a lot of those quantitative and that analytical rigor to the organization. And so I kind of slotted right into that and it was felt like home to me. Um, I was there for a number of years. I ended up joining Omniture um, before they were acquired by Adobe and spent about three years there. And, you know, it's a web analytics company. It's a, it's an, a data company. And again, it felt analysis at the core of a lot of what they're doing and optimization and felt like it felt, again, very aligned with what my, my own experience had been. And I stayed there for about 13 years almost. And it was interesting because I was part of this growth where you went from a Adobe acquiring Omniture, and then we went on a string. And I was I worked in strategy and corporate development there on the MA side. And we went through a string of about 10 acquisitions over about 10 years and ultimately went from a $300 million business to about a $3 billion plus revenue business. So question if you're came- allowed to answer it. Adobe, I feel like they are an overlooked player. We've talked about Apple and Google um, and, and, you know, we, we talk about Facebook, but Adobe people think of as, oh, that's the PDF that I use. And, oh, you mean like the photo company, Photoshop? And, but in the last decade, they've done a ton of stuff around data and marketing and stuff like that. 
And I think most people just have no idea. They seem to be a much larger player than people realize in this space. Yeah, I mean, they're they are one of the largest, you know, again, I, I think that the company that, that part of their business is over four billion dollars in revenue today. That's a massive business that nearly all the enterprises, you know, uh, marketing organizations in the world use them not, you know, as in addition to using them on the with the creative side of their business and and um, the creative side of marketing, I'll call it that. They also have a lot of tools that are used on the analytical side of marketing. And so their whole thing is about bringing those two together. But yeah, tons yeah, of acquisitions, it's a, but you never hear about them in front of Kong. Like they're behind the scenes kind of. They're not even in the conversation, even though they're a major player. It's, it seems odd that uh, they're so quietly big. Yes. And, and I think it's, you know... <laughs> It's, it's part of the culture there, you know, starts with Shantner, the CEO, all the way down. They, they, they are much more reserved about how they talk about the business in a, in a, and so that's, I think it's a little bit of their culture and who they are. All right. So you got, you're at Adobe and then eventually you decide, I'm going to leave this massive company that's doing the stuff I love. What happened there? Yeah, it was, it was one of those situations where, um, you know, the founder of Clarivine at the time was called Tracking First, the company's called Tracking First. There was about five people at the company. He approached me one day, uh, we, he had worked for me in the past. He approached me and said, Hey, somebody's approached me about buying my business. I don't want to sell it. I've tried raising capital. We need to raise capital. We've got, you know, we're, we're a certain size that, you know, we, we've kind of earned that right. But I, I, I did, I've talked to them. I cannot raise capital. What do you think I should do? And my, my comment to him was, I think you need to hire a CEO. And he's like, that's what I've got the feedback I got. From that's the, the actually why I'm talking to you. <laughs> and, and so he's like, so that kind of was the next conversation. He called me and said, Hey, would you be willing to do this? And I was like, there's no way I love what I'm doing. I'm, I'm kind of locked in here. And I had kind of a life plan. I was three or four years from retiring. And um, anyways, the more we talked and the more I looked at what they're doing, it, it, it really made me realize that the decade of 2010 to 2020 was a decade in which there was an art, you know, Adobe, Salesforce, and others really became arms dealers of applications into the enterprise and into, into marketing organizations with tools to help them optimize and to you know, become much more efficient and automate the way they were, they were managing um, marketing and advertising at scale. And I would and, say, probably to give you an assist here, tools that create a bunch of ancillary data. Bingo. And that's what became clear to me is that no marketing, if you look at an enterprise marketing organization, I think the data shows that their average number of applications they're using is around 80. But they're not buying all those from one vendor and they're not all built on a common data model. And in a lot of cases, it's proprietary, but, but ultimately what marketing organizations are going from is siloed views of data to, to much more holistic and um, cross-channel, omni-channel, however you want to call it, right. holistic views of, of consumers and of data and experiences. And so they want to get that data as much as they can into a unified kind of- They're getting a massive customer. game of telephone between yeah. all these applications. Yep. And so, and so what was interesting to me is I felt like the 2010 to 2020 was this era where the explosion on the application side, what that created was exactly what you just said. The result of that is massive amounts of data and organizations across the globe struggling with how to manage this and how to take data and turn it into insight and turn it into value. And so I think what I saw happening was this emergence of kind of the next decade, which we're in now, I think the very beginnings of it, 
which is really the decade of the data. And so for me, where, where, Clara, where at the time Clarabine was at was really a, a solving a very small problem. And I thought there was a much bigger opportunity for us as, as I talk about data integrity and data standards for us to really become a, a leader around this. And it's really about a, we think about it as a proactive way to solving data quality problems and data integrity problems versus a reactive way of solving it. And so that was really kind of what, what got me excited about this is I felt like we're playing right into where the next big wave of innovation um, and, and the next big wave of what is going to kind of change the way that, that uh, companies work is around the data side of things. And so that's really what kind of got me excited and, and, and ultimately um, got me here. And, and it, was, it was, you know, it's, it's a big transition to go from 18,000 people to, to five, um, but it's one that has been one of the most challenging experiences of my life on one hand, but also it's been one that I absolutely love every day what I'm doing and it's really hard. <laughs> <I'll say that. laughs> it sounds like it's a big problem uh your platform so let's get i'd like to move on to the clarivine platform a little bit so people can understand what it does because i know when i was first looking at talking to you i didn't quite understand what it does and i obviously still don't as much as as much as you do but one of the first things i thought of was it looked like this was a customer data platform and I was trying to put it in a box. Is this a CRM? Is it a customer data platform? Is this a content management platform? So for the listeners, can you kind of clarify what Clarivine does and, and where this platform fits into the, uh, whether you want to call it a marketing stack or the company's technology stack or whatever it is? Yeah. So the way I think about it is, and you, you brought up CDPs and I'll start, maybe start there is, we actually provide data that a lot of our customers are pulling in and ingesting into their CDP. Because again, what is happening is CDP becomes almost a point of aggregation of a lot of data from a lot of different applications, you know, web analytics applications and, and you know, social marketing and uh, uh, ad servers and other, other, other CRM and other solutions. And the challenge again there is, how do you bring all this data together? It's, it's a, the way that field, even the way they are naming the same piece of data in certain fields, they may abbreviate, they may, they may use different uh, ways of, uh, uh, I'll call it taxonomies and the way they, they name things and things like that. And so what we realized is if you step in front of all this and step in front of the entire stack, if you want to call it that on the marketing side, who is actually helping marketers create a common language or a common taxonomy, if you want to call it that, for the marketing organization that incorporates not just, you know, naming, you know, getting the names, the naming correct and, and, and unified, but also is ingesting and injecting um, what I will call business context or operational context or strategy into that, into that data set. Because again, a lot of this data is, is in some ways, um, I don't want to call it anonymized, but a lot of this data is, is coming from applications that are using least common denominator kind of ways of, 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 of way you think about a data model, because it's, it's a single application that thousands of companies may use that do very different things. Right. A One super may, simple data model that doesn't allow yeah. for information you may still want to maintain. Exactly. Or need so what to maintain. We be, yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. And so what we become is a single source of truth, if you want to call it that, and a platform to manage all that, all that kind of context that you need to be able to append to and, and include in that with that other data as you're doing analysis, as you're trying to join data and, and really kind of create a much more, create these really cross-channel holistic views of what's happening when you're incorporating data from different applications. And so in a sense, we become a single source of truth for a while, I'll call it either, you, some people refer to it as metadata, or I refer to it as you know, taxonomy or, or context data around the business that, and around these activities. It and makes so me think, a lot. Um, I, I managed a sales team at one point and I remember implementing a CRM in the company. We did not have a CRM at the time and implementing our first CRM. And the, the sense of refreshment I had once we had a CRM in place for managing the sales team, because I had this central place now where things were managed and we could understand what was going on. And the, when new people were onboarded, how easy it was for them to get up to speed. And then when a new sales manager was onboarded, the, the situation they stepped in, it feels like what you're doing, what your company does with data is kind of a version of that for the data across the whole company, where a new employee steps into marketing and they aren't completely lost. And, and some of the data isn't completely lost because the new guy doesn't know where the old guy put stuff or what it meant. Um, that it kind of makes all that just you're stepping into a system instead of stepping into just a random collection of stuff you have to figure out. That, 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 that's, that's a good analogy because you, you see it in, in again, in some, we, we work with a lot of the largest brands in the world. And what we see is there's not an application where you have a holistic view of all the people that are spending dollars, touching the customer, you know, representing the brand in, mar- in, in, in the market. And in, in a lot of companies, it's, they have multiple agencies around the world and those agencies are using you know, their own way of naming and their own taxonomies, and their, own, their own way of doing things. And so it's really trying to create a common, it's really a system that enforces and enables this common uh, data language and this common taxonomy across all the people, all the applications, all the, all the, all the channels. You talk and about centralized um, like naming of things when you start getting into whole different languages are being spoken. Then it's a whole nother yeah. like, wait, the, the character, the, the alphabet they're using isn't even the same here and there. How are we going to manage this data across? Yep. And that's, and that's the complexity that, you know, that our customers are dealing with. And that's what the, the, the complexity that, you know, marketers are dealing with. And that's, and that's really what, you know, and, and so, in some ways, we have customers that are a lot of cases where they're they're integrating with our solution um, and other applications, so that so that they have the ability for us to either write back data into these applications. We're we're very integrated downstream into a lot of their data infrastructure, whether it's analytics, BI, or or kind of the cloud-based kind of uh, data lakes, and and they're pushing a lot of this standard data or context into those environments to help mm. them not only connect data, but also gain richer insights from a optimization and from a, a uh, decisioning and from a, uh, an analysis perspective. Yeah. Let me know if this applies to what you're talking about. We've seen, um, you know, somebody wants to do a, 
um, a match to append information on a form fill, let's say. But many companies, when they look at the data, they just look at the website and it needs to be an exact match. We'll see data from people and they don't have the URL standardized. So if they have the URL in one place with www and you have HTTP and you have the S and you have the, and those are all just seen as different as different URLs. So they can't make the data match because they haven't standardized that down to, to a point they don't, and maybe some applications they use have all the rules. Well, they will recognize all the variations, but then others don't. So you get this weird stripping and some will actually add certain, they'll take the the domain and they'll standardize it, but then the other will strip or won't recognize because now it's been um, made. It's kind of the, again, the, the game of telephone stuff's being added and removed and not recognized. And, and so then you get all these disconnects from just something as simple, but foundational as a domain. And is this the same company or not? That, that is, that is absolutely one manifestation of this, right? It, it, and we see it, there, there's, there are thousands and thousands of examples if, if you know, when people get into the data, people understand how challenging it is and how much you know, the status out there, I think that the, the, the people will commonly refer to as, you know, 80% of the data scientist team's time is spent cleaning up data and not analyzing data. That is, it, it's, it's, it's similar across all the organization um, that, that, that deals with data. You know, and, and one of the things we see commonly in, is that every, in, in a lot of organizations, data quality has kind of been relegated to kind of the data team. The problem is they're the people least well positioned to the marketing team, I think you're saying. Well, in a lot of cases, well, a lot of cases it's it's the analyst, right? It's the Hmm. analyst, it's down the data. Oh, they have the word data in their title. So they're just like, good, you do this. And they're like, I don't, this isn't what I do. Yeah, well they do because they have to somebody has to get that data into a format that they can actually analyze it, right? And Hmm. and they're and so what one of the things that we're seeing more and more of out there is this notion that data and quality of data is not just the domain and responsibility of the people, you know, that the analysts or the data people, the analytics people, it is really something that has to be a cultural shift to, to take on this problem. And that's really kind of what we're, one way what we're doing is putting tools in the hands of marketers to be part of the problem, or to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. Yeah. We see marketers frequently it's pushed on in our side and they're like, we have nothing to do with data. We don't know data. We have one yeah, person in our company that's an Excel spreadsheet expert. That's as deep as we get. So they end up, when you talk about cleaning, it seems like we have data scientists. We may need a whole nother field of data janitors. So the scientists aren't having to do the toilet cleaning of the data yeah. um, because it, it gets pushed off. Yes. onto the analytics people and onto the marketers and onto the data scientists when really, if it's just standardized and kept clean to start with, or even understood that, the people at the top making the decisions frequently don't understand the data and how simply so many of these things can go wrong. And then it all just ends up being swept under the rug because they're not really a cleaner. So they just kind of like, well, let's bury this and move on and bury this and move on and bury this and move on. So you guys solve that problem is basically, or those problems. It we're help- like. Yeah. We're helping companies solve those problems. It, it, you, this whole idea of sweeping under the rug, we hear a lot of this people, we call it organizational entropy, which is like people like, you know what? We know that, a bunch of this data, we, we threw out a bunch of the data to start with because we couldn't we couldn't make sense of it. And so we're dealing with a smaller set of data. And even with a smaller set of data, we're, we're getting directional insights. And so companies 
to become more comfortable with like, the data's got problems. We don't always trust it. And so they're sort of a lot of times falling back onto what they know or what they believe. And there's a lot of bias that ends up being kind of baked into that analysis. They're doing the best they can, but it's, there's just this belief that the data, especially as, as the data gets more aggregated and more cross-channel, the, the trust in that data continues to go down, down, down. And that's, I would that's, say half the data cleaning projects we do, um, we don't end up doing. Because the customer comes to us and one of the first things we ask is, how important is this data to you? Because yeah. we look at it and we're like, I don't know if this is worth saving. Uh, like, if this is your customer data, then you have to have it. If this is just a target audience you've had in your system for a decade and there's nothing special about it, sure. then you should really throw it away and, and just get a new one. It'll cost less and be better for you um, than so that's always our first question with the data cleaning is, is this important or is this just something that you had in the attic and you'd like to rebuild? Maybe like, don't rebuild it. Just buy a new one. Yeah. 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 Well, and I, and I think that that question is, we always need to ask ourselves that those sorts of questions as we're thinking about what, why are we measuring certain things and why are we, you know, analyzing certain things? Like, is there a business purpose for this or not? And a business value for these things or not? That, that's a, a common question that needs to always be asked especially as we're, as we're thinking about data. We'll also find ourselves asking people, what does this acronym that labels this field mean? And they'll say, I don't know. Let me see if someone else does. <laughs> and he's like, cause also the information is, and it's not like it's obviously an email or a phone number, the information. And it doesn't mean there's like ones and zeros. We don't know what this means. And they say, yeah, neither do we say, so, okay. Would have been nice if there was a description somewhere of what this field means and what it's for. Well, we, we see that all the time and it gets even more challenging as the organization gets bigger because you have, you know, I've seen this, this debate go back and forth between an agency and a brand of like, well, you guys created the field. Well, we thought it meant this. So we were putting this data <laughs> in that field. And they're like, well, yeah. that's not what that field is. We were assuming on the analysis that we were doing that it was, that it meant this. And they're like, no, that's not, we, the data we were inserting in there was not that it was something else. And so analysis you're doing is not even hmm. there's no alignment a classic one there's an example for the listeners would be status fields we see it all the time there'll be a status field and it's not made clear what the status is for is this the whole record is this the email for this specific contact because just because the email's wrong doesn't mean the contact and the company information's wrong and it's like when you have a generalized name for something and then yeah it gets way because then it gets polluted and you really don't you can't do anything except for pretty much no. throw it out because you had five different people putting in information with five different understandings of what it meant. You're like, okay, yep. it's, it's back to the old school days of somebody missorted this Excel spreadsheet a year ago. And we've been working off fields that don't belong together this whole time. There's no way of unsorting that unscrambling that soup. It's just like, that's sorry. That's what you got now. Yeah. And, that, and, that, and again, that's why when I talk about data standards, that's why kind of having this locking this down and having a common kind of data model and language up front is so important because it eliminates a lot of that, a lot of that guesswork and a lot of that kind of misunderstanding that, that is inherent over time as an organization turns over and as the gets bigger and, and more complex. And I'd say take something that has value and not only removes the value, but causes damage when you use that information then mm -hmm. because and can't be unscrambled you, you, you've yeah. created something over time that because it wasn't clear to start with 
it just can't, you can't undo what's happened in all that time and information lost. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So can you give, I want to, we're going to be wrapping things up here, but I'd like to leave people with a couple takeaways. Um, and we've had some, a couple examples just recently, but can you give a couple examples of data points and something people can do to prevent problems themselves, whether they're working in a CRM or, or a spreadsheet or whether they'd use your, uh, your, your guys' service, what's something, a couple simple things people can do to, to avoid problems? Yeah. So I think a few things are, you know, one is I, I think you have to, you, you have to start, I always kind of start at the beginning, which is, and I, I mentioned this earlier, Again, we are in this decade, I believe, of data, of you know, data driving business decisions, data dri- driving kind of value in, in the organization. And there, you have to really have a culture of data quality. And there has to be a common understanding of what does that mean? When we talk about data quality, how do we define that? You know, I, I was talking to somebody, um, a woman recently, and she worked for one of the large, large pharma firms. And and she mentioned, you know, I came in the organization and the thing I was tasked with was solving data governance. And I came in and had conversations with people and their eyes just glazed over on the business side. And she said, I, I changed it to a conversation around data quality and us getting measures of how do we, how do we measure quality? And she's like, it, it opened up a whole different set of, of conversations and a whole different set of metrics about how we think about data quality as an organization. And it actually has driven for them a huge improvement in the way that they are able to um, make decisions and how they use data and how they actually, how they actually um, capture and collect data and what they're collecting, not collecting, why they're collecting. And I think that to me is, is there has to be that kind of common um, understanding of, of what is data quality and who owns that. It's, it's really has to be an, an enterprise wide com- or a company wide commitment, not just, you know, tasked with certain people that have to have to deal with the problem. I like That's your one mention thing. of like selling it to the person who needs to be involved also for how it affects them rather than, you know, data governments, again, gloss over half the listeners gloss over data. Okay. What does that even mean now? I have to go figure that out. But I mean, if you're talking to the sales manager and you say, you know, I want to put this in place to make sure your salespeople are only getting phone numbers at work. Yeah. Oh, okay. well, that's, yeah, that, yeah, she, that, you know, the thing that she said was, it was clear. She's like, when I, when I use that certain, that term data governance, everyone's like, well, that's an IT problem. And she's like, well, right. and she's like, I be, quickly became aware, like that I'm not speaking the language of the, of the, of the business and the business users. And that's really, I think, important. Um, it's like, you have you to know, be other, a salesperson in, in talking to the pain point they have, even when talking about it. Absolutely. And I think that's something that, yeah, I think it's like everything, right? You have to, you have to know your audience and you have to, it's like, it's, it's, that's sales 101, but it's, it's really the way things, things get done. And the way you move, move understanding forward is you have to know your audience and you have to speak to your audience. Um, I think the other thing that, 
that I, I would say is, and I, and I use this word kind of, you know, common data taxonomy or common data language. I think that you have to start with the end in mind. And, and to me, we, this is what we talk about a lot. We, you can retrofit this and we have a lot of customers that we work with that we um, reprocess a lot of data, but, you know, we come into situations where companies are using an, like an analytics solution or, or other, other data uh, analysis solutions. And you end up with 50% of the data down in an unknown bucket. And yet they're still making decisions. And our whole thing is like, you have to solve, you, it's great that you're making decisions with half the data, but how do you get stuff out of the unknown? I'd how also start being able adding something onto that. The assumption frequently when making decisions is the unknown is randomly unknown. Yes. Sometimes like we look at data and we say, oh, we don't know the company size for a bunch of these companies. And you would, uh, many people might assume, oh, it, randomly, we don't know. So we can make the decision off of the information we do know. The problem is, why don't you know it for some of the companies? Well, it's because really small companies are difficult to know the company size for. So in fact, you're not making decision on a representative data set. The information you don't know is for a specific reason because it's a specific type of data, which completely throws off all the decisions you're making because it's not, if it's not representative, the unknowns, everything is screwed up. Everything's up. Yep. I think you're spot on. And, and to assume that to me is, again, it's, it's a little bit of driving blind, right? You're just, you're, you're, I, somebody told me one time early in my career at one point, <laughs> this guy gave me some feedback and he said, assume nothing. And if you assume nothing, then you, you always are curious about and, and, and really understand the, the environment you're operating in. And I think that's the same way we, what you're talking about here, which is I, I would say as it comes to data, assume nothing, try to get the, you, you have to dig in and get the answers. And I think sometimes that's difficult for people to do, but it's, it's, it's critical because if you start assuming something, you eventually start layering assumptions on top of assumptions. And over time, right. it's wildly, you get, you can get to the point where you're wildly wrong. But not only wildly wrong, but you think you're right. You don't yeah. say, oh, there's so much we don't know here. Because most of these assumptions aren't a case of somebody saying, hmm, we don't know this. Let's assume this. Their brain automatically assumes it's representative in that particular instance. And they never even think something you go back and look sometimes at these things and you say, Oh, what happened here? And they're like, what are you talking about? I don't know. What do you mean? Like, Oh, you're assuming this is because of this. They didn't even know they made an assumption. I'd say that's the really dangerous one is not making the wrong decision, but not even knowing you made a decision in, in, in yeah. that spot. So not only assume nothing, but think about whether you're assuming something or not in every, in every step. Cause that's a, in data really dangerous. Yeah. And that's kind of what I mentioned earlier. This kind of what we sometimes deal with is people are like, well, you know, our data, it, we think it's 70% accurate. So we're, we're just able to live with it. And it's like, well, you don't, first off, you don't know what's 70% accurate and which, which parts it's like you're saying, it's not an even necessarily an even distribution of where the inaccuracy is. It may be some things are wildly inaccurate and some things are absolutely um, incredibly accurate. And then and so, that gets to which parts? Is it the most important thing that's 70% inaccurate? Um, yeah. Or is the most important thing 99% inaccurate and the completely unimportant things are really accurate? Yeah, every little field. So I see what you're the taxonomies you guys create. 
every field has its own. We work in data, so I understand we have our own quality score for it. It's not just here's the score for the record. We have that, but every field has its own definition, has its own score, has a subset of information about it um, in, in order to to actually have accurate information. Yeah. It can't just be the records are accurate, but this field, how accurate is the area code on this phone number? Yeah. And the other part of that is, you know, in our, in our application, there's, there's situations where, you know, the taxonomy is created at the organizational level and there may be for, for particular, particular channels or particular use cases, you're, you're locking down the, the available options that someone can select from. There's this, this whole idea that you have to make it easier for users to solve data problems. You have to make it intuitive. And the more, and that's kind of the way we approach this problem. The more you can put, we obfuscate the complexity from the end user, the more likely it is you're going to actually have good outcomes. And so what, what to a lot of people, data is very complex and hard to understand. And, and it's this, massive it's just a massive problem our our job really is to kind of create an illusion of simplicity and and that's how you get users to buy into okay i can do this i can, and and that simplicity and ease of use is just playing into this whole notion of this user is now contributing to outcomes that drive quality in the data I and that's that. one of the big things yeah one of our taglines is we love data so you don't have to yeah, I think saying there's a ton that's going on here. You don't want or have to know about it. Um, how can we make this simple for you? I love that uh, description of it. It makes me think again, looking at an individual field. Okay, somebody can enter a phone number here. Do you let them enter anything or do you have limits? Do you let them enter anything and then scrub it in a way for actual yep. submission? So you guys, it seems like prefer the method of there's a phone number. You can only enter this many characters. They have to be numbers. And then they're going to be yep. formatted in a specific way Form on the outside exactly. or yep. on the other side. And you're just going to see the phone numbers. We've had people look at our data and say, wow, all your, how did you get all your numbers to have the same format? Like your phone numbers, you have a bracket and then three and then a space. And then like, uh, I was yeah. just called formatting, but like, how did you get all your states to have abbreviations? It's called standardizing and formatting. Um, That's exactly right. Yeah, you can force people to enter the abbreviation. You can, or you can give them the option, and then have the system uh, adjust it, or say, "Sorry, but this state doesn't exist. Is, there, is that a typo? Try again, or something like that." Um, so you guys kind of, I love that it's complex processes creating a simplified surface, kind of. Yeah, it's, it's we again we talk about it as abstracting the complexity, and with this illusion of you know to the user, it seems like it's a simple thing to do, but there's a lot of the complexity that comes behind that when you're talking about transformations of data and other things that, you know, the more we can kind of abstract that away from the, 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 the user, the, the more likely it is you're going to have good outcomes. You guys think of so they don't have to. Yeah. Things yeah. just work the way they're supposed to work. <laughs> that's what we tell people all the time. And that's what people want. Yeah. That's what people want. Fantastic. Um, all right. Well, let's, let's wrap things up here. I want to, again, let people know about um, Clarivine. I'm pronouncing that right, right? I, yep. I mispronounced it so many times going into this call, and then you corrected me once at the beginning, and I was like, why did I say it that other way so many times? Um, so anyway, Clarivine, that is, uh, that's uh, Verl's, and again, Verl Allen, I think I said this when we weren't recording, but your name pisses off my data people because you it's have two a, first names. 
Yeah, or or I mean, we wouldn't even see girls. Not a common first name, so it's really yeah. Uh, in our system, I think our algorithms would switch your name around and then throw you away because it didn't work out. Uh, so, and a good and one well, side good people it prevents people. You have a data protection built into your name. Well, it's funny. I get a lot of unsolicited emails that are addressed to Alan, so I'm assuming yeah. that's happening all over the place out there. Yeah, somehow they got your email right though, so. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> they have a more sophisticated system than just one dimensional, I guess. That's good. Um, all right. So people can find uh, Clarivine. Clarivine.com will have a bunch of stuff in the show notes uh, where people can reach out to you as well. Um, anything else you'd like put out there? And we have your LinkedIn uh, handle, Facebook, Twitter, all that kind of stuff. Where can people find you outside of the, the socials? You know, the best place to find me is on LinkedIn. I, you know, um, I, I, I'm very responsive there. And it, it, the, the nice thing is you search for Verl Allen and I'm the only guy probably is going to come up. So. You get a whole bunch of Allen Verls and then there's you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. So if you want to uh, find, uh, find Verl, connect with him, uh, check out LinkedIn there, check out Clarivine at clarivine.com to understand kind of what they can do for, for your data a little more. And for God's sakes, Keep your data standardized and clean, especially the fields that actually matter. Stop color coordinating your stuff without any mention of what the colors mean. And uh, again, you can find the show notes on this episode at ifyoumarket.com. And uh, please share us on social media. You know, give us a shout out, share us with a friend, share us with your marketing department and, uh, and whatnot. And uh, on behalf of the If You Market team and Vero Allen of Clarivine, Thanks for listening to the If You Market podcast, where we believe if you market the shit out of it with data standards, they will come. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.